The Politocrat is brought to you by the great people at Anchor. Anchor is such a great place to go if you want to get started in podcasting. And it's easy and it's free. Anchor, marvelous stuff, marvelous. And I'm so grateful to the folks at Anchor for getting me going with The Politocrat. If you want to get going and be heard on Apple, on Spotify and everywhere podcasts can be, Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to another edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Sunday, April the 19th, 2020. And, of course, we are struggling through this pandemic. As I always say, certainly have over the last few days, if you are struggling with health issues, If you have some challenges related to your health in any way, shape or form, not just regarding this virus, but anything else, I do honestly send you my very best wishes and positive vibes and encouragement and hope that you prevail in whatever health challenges you have. To everybody out there who has lost someone they know, lost a loved one, lost any other family member to any health challenge or this virus in particular as well, my sincere and deepest, most heartfelt condolences to you and to your family. And if you yourself are encountering this virus, as I say, know that I am pulling for you and many people are pulling for you to thrive and succeed against this horrible virus. The numbers just continue to climb. The numbers of people in this country, the United States and around the world who have this virus or who are losing their lives to this virus continue to climb. And with that, I'm going to forego headlines for this time, for this moment and do them later on. And talk about mental health. This is something that we are not talking about in this country. And I have alluded to this before in prior episodes of this podcast. We are not here in the United States and certainly in numerous other countries not talking about mental health. We need to talk about that. We need to start to openly speak about mental health. And of course, there are conversations that are happening 
around mental health. They tend to be more general ones like seek help. Yes, you should definitely do that. Of course you should. And I'm going to recommend that as well. But what I want to do is pinpoint some of the things that are going on for people, I think, and that may be going on for you that I think have been going on for me, worrying about this pandemic. We all have worries about this pandemic and we all have worries about where we're going to be as individuals and as families and as a society after this is all over. There's the uncertainty, there's the fear that we have. And that fear is particularly acutely felt in people who do not have the resources to protect themselves. The poor, the working poor, and much of the working class. Certainly black people, Latinos or Latinx, Native Americans, if you're talking about specifically the U.S., I mean, these are groups and individuals who are going to be and who are at a distinct disadvantage because of the systemic racism and discrimination that continues on against the groups that I have mentioned and the historical enslavement and genocide. So these are... These are huge things that have taken place even before this pandemic, obviously. And I'm going to get into that with some of the things that took place over the last 12 to 24 hours in just a few minutes. But this serious situation with health and wellness is not being talked about. Most people in this country, at least, have never experienced anything like this before. This is something I've mentioned, and this is something that you obviously know. We haven't experienced anything like this. This generation hasn't. Prior generations haven't. The maybe some of the baby boomer generation, well, you know, they didn't either. We've not faced this. World War II, the so-called greatest generation, as they're called here in the U.S., went through World War II. People went through World War II. Before that, it was the Spanish flu in 1918. And I will safely say that none of us who are alive at present were alive during that time. The vast majority of people in America, then they may have, there may well be one or two people in the country who were alive, but of course they were too young to remember what was going on around them. The Spanish flu was a pandemic of grave proportions. Millions and millions of people died. Right now in the United States, we have just about 40,000 people dying from this virus, who have died from this virus. And you've got models saying, oh, 60,000 by early August. Well, that's obviously, we know that models are often incorrect. And it's very clear to me that we're going to be reaching that horrible number, sadly, of 60,000 people from this virus not surviving it 
by the end of this month. So when you hear these things, when you hear me say that, when you observe these things on the internet and all these stories, obviously you don't get filled with any hope. And this does things to you internally. And on top of all the stresses you have in your personal life, whether it's your relationship with your spouse, whether it's your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend, whether it is a relationship that you're having with a family member that's a stressor, whether that's your sibling, whether that's your mother or your father, or an uncle or a grandparent, and that person may be living with you, or a mother-in-law or father-in-law. Not to mention your children's situations with them that might be happening. Concerns that you have about your children and how they are faring. Maybe there's estrangement going on in your family with your child or your children. Maybe there's tension. And a pandemic obviously exacerbates that even more. So these are very difficult times. And then you add this pandemic to it. And if you are someone who is not doing well economically, if you're someone who's lost your job because of this pandemic, if you've lost your health insurance, because here in America, we do these really crazy things like tie health insurance to employment, which is just asinine. So that if you do lose your job, you've got no health insurance. So if you're sick and if you lost your job because you're sick, because you may have this virus, and you've got employers who, you know, find out or suspect that you've got it because you've been coughing or you have one of these symptoms and they get rid of you. And then you've got no health insurance because they've terminated you. It just sends you off into another wave of fear and panic, disorientation, all of these things that affect your nervous system. So there's a story from Corey Stieg. She wrote this yesterday. Health and wellness. Could you get PTSD from your pandemic experience? The long-term mental health effects of coronavirus. And this is something that that a lot of people have been discussing. And I've mentioned it from time to time. Where people get these dreams. I've had these strange dreams. Or at least strange visions. As I've closed my eyes, I've had this. This happened a couple of weeks ago. And they were the most bizarre and disturbing visions. And I had to keep opening my eyes so that I didn't experience this when I was closing my eyes. And that happened for one night. And I finally was able to shake it off. But my goodness me, um, it was not pleasant. And there may be many people out there, you may be one of them, who has experienced these kinds of things. These things are perfectly normal, by the way, because your brain is trying to, before I get to the story that Corey Stieg wrote, your brain is trying to cope with this very traumatic and disturbing thing that's going on in the world, not to mention your own situations that you might be in and so your brain is trying to handle and cope and grapple with 
all of these events. The brain is trying to process them. And all of these nightmares and these visions or even hallucinations, some people who actually have coronavirus have said, and it happens because symptoms manifest themselves differently in lots of people. Some people don't even ever have symptoms. We know about people who are asymptomatic and who before they actually know anything about this virus can shed the most virus before they even know. I mean, this is really scary stuff. And you've got lots of people who say that they've had hallucinations. And this could be a function of the virus and there's studies out there now talking about how the virus is affecting the brain chemistry. And then even if you have the virus or if you don't have it, it's just your brain is trying to manage this onslaught that has hit you. It doesn't help to watch the news. And I've said this before, that you don't really want to watch too much news. I also would recommend that if you're going to watch anything at all, watch the press briefings of the governors. So if it is the governor in your state, if he or she is doing a press briefing, that is probably the only kind of news that you're going to really want to watch. I know that obviously there are people who find comfort in watching a news network, even if it is all day long, because they want to feel closer to either information or to the general public or to news sources. Hopefully, if people are doing something like that, that they are watching something like CNN and not really anything else. I mean, I, I've had issues with CNN, but if you're going to be sitting in front of a television watching anything, and I wouldn't recommend it, including CNN, if you're going to have to do that because you somehow get a sense of comfort in watching and being close to the news because it helps you take your mind off your own kinds of situations that you're having that are pretty darn serious, then I guess you, you might watch CNN. But I would recommend not watching news. I would recommend if you had to, watch your local uh, politician's press briefing, whether it's your mayor, whether it is your governor, the governor of your state. That just makes more sense to me. And it, it, it can give you some peace of mind. You understand what the governor is doing or not doing. You may get some questions from the press. And it, some of it may be reassuring to you. Some of the articles that I'm going to mention a little bit later on are not so reassuring. And I'm going to try to limit my description of them. And I would say to you that if you want to know more, then you might be interested in reading them. These are cold-eyed reports. These aren't people just speculating on things. So the brain is just trying to make sense of all of these things. Now, this is a sudden event. Even though people were hearing about this event, and I heard about it on Sky News in December of last year, and most people also did if they watched Sky News or if they were watching the media here in the United States, they found out in early January and then in the middle of January when there were more reports in Wuhan in China and then more reports, of course, 
in January later on the 21st when the first case in the US was announced. So we've had this steady stream of information and we we understand that you know we walk outside our doors outside our homes if we have homes if we're fortunate enough to have a roof over our head we walk outside and we see people there's hardly anyone on the street it looks like a movie a, a movie of dystopian proportions and your brain has to adjust to that your brain is trying to cope with suddenly seeing nobody on the streets your brain is trying to cope with suddenly seeing people wearing masks all the time. You have to wear a mask. In many cities and states now, it is mandatory, including here in San Francisco, California, it is mandatory to be wearing a mask. In fact, I think in the state of California in general, it is. Certainly here in San Francisco, there was an order just a day or two ago mandating that everybody who goes outside wears a mask. And I've been doing that now for about a month, even before this happened. And so have some other people. But what I'm saying is, is that your brain is trying to manage this overload. And it manifests itself. And then we react to how the brain is doing that. And the way that we may counteract that is by eating something that's not good. As I've told you, I've had, you know, I've had pizza. I've been, I mean, I've been eating more pizza than I ever do. And I really am not a fan of pizza. And I think a lot of the reason why that's happening for me is that I am reacting to the stresses of this pandemic. And I've got healthy food. But when you don't feel like cooking, or if you don't feel like eating food that's going to take a little while to prepare, even though it's not that much, and you just think that you are in the position where you can just, you know, literally uh, make a quick phone call and have food delivered, then you're going to do that more often than not. But I think the way to respond to it is to cook because cooking is therapeutic. And I've talked about this. Even if you don't feel like cooking, you will be amazed to see how that affects your brain chemistry. Creating something amidst this kind of stress will help you. Whether it's writing, this is why the left brain activity is really helpful. If you can write something, if you can exercise within your home, if you don't want to go out and do a quick run early in the morning or walk, if you can write something, if you can do some exercise in your home, if you can meditate and do mindfulness, if you are able to cook to create something, it does help your brain chemistry and it does send all these chemicals through your brain and your endorphins. This this is scientifically tested. This is not some preacher hype at all. This is absolutely helpful. Now, there are people who suffer from depression and seriously. And I do recognize that this will be a challenge for those individuals. And the fact that we have this pandemic going on will make it only more challenging for somebody who is clinically depressed or is suffering from 
some depression. It's very difficult, but I know people who, and you may know people, who suffer from depression. And it's extremely difficult. They are not able to literally wake up and get out of bed. They literally are lying in bed frozen there. And the person who's never had experience with depression or someone who's never witnessed this in other people, in people they know, people they love, wonder, well, how come they can't get out of bed? How come you can't get out of bed? Well, you know, there is a serious situation in someone's brain chemistry, in chemical compounds, in something that is genetic in some people, in many people who have depression. And it's very difficult. And that's where support is needed. That's where people who are in those positions need the most support and care. And I know that people are being overloaded, but one thing that needs to happen is for people who know those who are suffering from depression to try to reach out to them and try to get them assistance and help. There are organizations who are geared towards helping. The SAMHSA, that's S-A-M-H-S-A, SAMHSA, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Now, this deals with reducing substance abuse and mental illness impact. And I think that this is one way to go. It may not be the only way to go, though. Because, I mean, mental illness, yes, depression is a form of mental illness. But this is also about reaching out for support. Now, the SAMHSA Treatment Referral Helpline is 877. This is it for the United States. 877 This is general information on mental health and location location of treatment services in your area. And you can speak to a live person from Monday to Friday, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That is 5 a.m. Pacific to 5 p.m. Pacific, Monday through Friday, live. You can get a live person if you dial in the U.S. 877 726-4727. When I return, I will be talking about this article that will provide some more advice and solutions that may be able to be of help to you or someone you know.
Captain and Tennille with Love Will Keep Us Together. Welcome back to The Politocrat. And thank you very much for listening on this Sunday. You know, again, I want to continue talking about mental health because it's something that we as a nation here in the U.S. and a lot of other nations around the world are not tackling, not talking about. I mean, there is some discussion uh, around the basics or some of the more skeletal um, things about mental health, but not deep dives. And right now, I think we're a very vulnerable population. As I have said on a number of occasions, we are at a very vulnerable point on this planet, all of us, because we have governments in some countries that are geared towards you know, autocratic rule or are autocratic or are um, authoritarian. And unfortunately, what we've got here in the U.S. is an example of an authoritarian dictator, someone who is a, of, of that ilk. And that's the wrong person, obviously, to have in power. And as we, we can clearly see that. So how do we deal with all of this in terms of mental health? That That's really what I want to get back to. And at the moment, uh, you know, I gave out a number for SAMHSA, for those of you who need that number again, this is about getting general information on mental health and to locate treatment service centers in your area. This is how you can speak to a live person Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern time in the U.S. or 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific time in the U.S., Monday through Friday. So tomorrow, make that phone call, please, to one eight seven 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 two six four seven two seven. I'll repeat that as eight seven 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 two six four seven two seven. That is the treatment referral head head health. Ugh. That is the treatment referral helpline. That gets you general information on mental health, but it also locates treatment services in your area, places that can help you. So that's something um, to look at. And one and the other number I want to give you is from the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. If you know somebody at all, or if it applies to you, and you are in emotional distress or have suicidal thoughts or are, you know, going through those kinds of things, especially now, please call this phone number. It's 800-273-8255. That is 800-273-8255. Now, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number, which I just gave you, they are available live 24 hours a day, seven days a week. These are centers that also provide counseling, mental health referrals, crisis counseling. So these are very important phone numbers. And I'm going to put them up in my episode notes and also on Twitter at the popcorn R-E-E-L to remind people that these are avenues of help that you can get for mental health. Obviously, for those who are in domestic violence situations, and I'm going to be talking uh, sometime in the next few days uh, on domestic violence and, and having an episode on that coming soon. Uh, 
because I do think that that's something also that's not being sufficiently discussed. You have homeless people out here as well. And when you're telling people to stay home, it's very difficult for homeless people to do that. And I do not endeavor to be facetious. So there needs to be shelter for homeless people. And Gavin Newsom, the governor here in California, has moved uh, thousands of homeless people into housing in Sacramento. And we know, by the way, that the domestic violence has absolutely shot through the roof here in the United States. I had a conversation recently with someone at a crisis center. And this person was telling me that calls have particularly gone up in, not surprisingly, the largest states in the United States, California and Texas. And then there are other places in the deep south where those calls had also spiked. But generally across the country that is happening. And I will be uh, in the next few days, at some point in the next few days or even a couple of weeks, um, getting uh, some conversation going about domestic violence and what we can do, what we must do, obviously, to to end domestic violence. Not only that, but also to put the responsibility on men to end this and provide survivors the help that they need. Predominantly, survivors are the ones who are female and they're female, predominantly. And it is at the hands, always, almost always, of a male abuser. So there's going to be some talk and conversation and some advocacy and solutions around that that I will be getting into uh, in a forthcoming episode of this podcast. In the meantime, I think it's very important that you consult if you or someone you know here in the United States is encountering domestic violence right now, or you know, you're a survivor of domestic violence and you're continuing to go through this horror please do call or have someone else call on your behalf. 1-800-799-7233. And if you are unable to speak safely because you're in a home, And your abuser is literally watching you 24-7. You can go on the internet to the extent that you can, as safely as you can do. Log on to thehotline.org. That web address again, thehotline.org. Thehotline.org. Or you can text... Love is, all one word, love is, L-O-V-E-I-S. You can text that to 22522. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there is going to be someone there for you. There is going to be someone to speak to you. There is going to be someone 
to help you, to counsel you, to advise you, to just listen to you. A lot of this is also about listening. And these are trained counselors. They will be your guide. If you cannot safely contact these individuals who can counsel you, then try to text a family member or friend who can do this on your behalf. That's also a part of mental health. It's a part of obviously physical health and well-being as well. That's the National Domestic Violence Hotline. So I hope that you... Do take those phone numbers down. And I will be posting these again on Twitter at the Popcorn Reel. That's at the Popcorn R-E-E-L. That is the personal Twitter handle that I have. And this is such important information for those who need it. There are so many people around the world, certainly here in the U.S., who need help dealing with and surviving through domestic violence and other situations that are extremely traumatic and difficult. Corey Stieg writes for CNBC.com, could you get PTSD from your pandemic experience, the long-term mental health effects of coronavirus? Yes, you know, she outlines these things she talks about ptsd and talks about how people were showing symptoms of this obviously after the pandemic uh after um, sars in 2003 you had healthcare workers think about what healthcare workers are also going through you know they are treating people who are losing their lives and they are treating them and they're treating them Day in, day out, hour after hour after hour, they're working these incredible shifts. And they are seeing, you know, I hate to put it this way, they are seeing death 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now that obviously is going to take an extreme toll on their nervous system and on their mental health. People like you and I who are self-quarantining, by staying indoors, not because we may have the virus, but just because we've been told to stay indoors, stay at home, if we're fortunate enough to have a roof over our head. That presents its own PTSD. That presents its own stresses. And that's why it is important to take a walk when you can, practice mindfulness, exercise, watch something on television that is amusing and funny, or watch some movie that takes your mind away from... What's going on? If you can read a book, listen to music. I always think that aside from mindfulness and getting exercise and obviously drinking water, music is the great, great thing. Social media may not be the best. And look, I'm talking as someone who uses social media quite a bit, but I have pulled back from time to time and will continue to do so. I think it's helpful to do that because there's a lot of good information on social media, but there's a lot of misinformation and toxicity. And I can be honest and say that, look, I've name called a number of people 
and have got really upset at a number of people lately. Is that due to the stress of this? Yeah, it probably is. Um, but I also think it's due to some of the things that people are saying, and I'm going to get into that shortly. In one such situation, at least. So Corey, um, Corey Stieg, in this article, dated yesterday, April 18th, says that the COVID-19 pandemic could produce this PTSD, which is certainly, I think, is going to happen. And she cites these experts. She says, even if you aren't clinically diagnosed with this PTSD, you could have a strong emotional reaction to the trauma of COVID-19 that can last long after an incident. Well, of course, absolutely. When we think about traumatic events, it's not just what the event is. It's really your interpretation of what that event causes for you. Luana Marquez, clinical psychologist and associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the Harvard Medical School and president of the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, tells CNBC Make It. For example, healthcare workers providing frontline services as well as people who have lost loved ones or jobs due to the disease may be at greater risk for developing long-term difficulties. Those who struggle with other mental health conditions such as anxiety or depression who have a prior history of trauma may be at increased risk of ongoing distress. And it's absolutely right. I mean, this is what I've been talking about. And one other thing I'll read from this article. Be aware of the symptoms. You know, there are a number of symptoms, Corey Stieg writes, that people can experience after a traumatic incident, including invasive thoughts. I've talked about that. Flashbacks, upsetting memories. People feel hypervigilant or have trouble concentrating. They may avoid thinking about an incident as a way of coping. And these PTSD symptoms would have to occur over a long period of time. But even if you don't have these things full blown, your brain, as I said earlier, is trying to calibrate and react and process and, and, you know, and try to assess all these things. And these major events like this pandemic are obviously things that the brain is really trying to process and handle because there's such an overload, which is why it is not a good idea to watch news, especially when you've got news programs and channels like CNN and the others who put the numbers of people with this virus and the number of people who have died from it on the screen constantly. That is not a helpful thing. It only reinforces the panic and the fear and the trauma. Now, Corey Stieg writes, how long do these symptoms last? Well, it's normal to have an intense response emotionally to these things. But people tend to recover. So there's a you know there's there's another thing in this article, the acronym T E B. She writes it stands for thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. Quote: People should be watching what they're saying to themselves and how that's making them feel and do what they do. Marquez says. And uh, Marquez is someone who is listed in this article that I mentioned. She's a clinical psychologist and associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. I mentioned her a few moments ago. For example, if you spend all day ruminating that you're going to get sick or lose your job, then you might go 
home and drink to feel better, to wake up feeling worse the next day. So that's, that's the thing that does happen. Um, as Marquez points out, if your thought patterns tend to be black and white and catastrophic, that's not a good sign. That leads to distorted thinking and dysfunctional behavior, she says. Instead, find a coping mechanism that can anchor you, like calling a friend or exercising, which is why you do need to exercise if you can inside the house. If you are an able-bodied person who, who can do this, try it. If you are not someone who is able-bodied, if you do, if you are a person with disabilities, and if you can practice mindfulness meditation then please do try that if you have someone who can put on some music for you or if you are able to as someone with a disability if you are able to put on music or have someone with you who can then tell them what that is or write that down if you can try to communicate to them what that is for you what your what music do you love what music do you like have them put that on for you I've talked about Queen, the Queen song, Queen song, the, the Queen song from Queen called I Want to Break Free. That really does something for your brain. And as I've said, Corey Stieg does this well as well in her story here. Unplug from the news. Absolutely. You should unplug from the news a little bit, Marquez says, and try to do something that slows you down. Anything you can do to cool off your brain right now is really helpful. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So this article from Corey Stieg is called Could You Get PTSD from Your Pandemic Experience? The Long-Term Mental Health Effects of Coronavirus. That is at cnbc.com under Health and Wellness. It was published yesterday, April the 18th, 2020. Now, you can look that article up. I will link to it. And I will include that in the episode notes of this podcast episode. I'll be back in a few moments to just talk about some quick headlines and one word about a certain person right after this. break free welcome back to the politocrat 
Well, I want to get into some headlines and uh, do so at pace, (laughs) get through them, just so that you can, in case you have been shielding yourself from the television screens and not a bad idea, uh, given what I've been talking about earlier, um, just some really quick ones. Uh, These are things that perhaps you should be aware of. Um, but you may already be very aware of these things. There was an absolute bombshell report, not a shocking one, not a surprising one, but perhaps to many a shocking one in the Sunday Times of London that came out last night in truth, but uh, definitely something that I think people need to look at. The Sunday Times has put out an article, a really well-researched and excellent article, by Jonathan Calvert, George Arbuthnot, and Jonathan Leake, entitled Coronavirus 38 Days When Britain Sleepwalked Into Disaster. Boris, and here's the subtitle, Boris Johnson skipped five COBRA meetings on the virus, calls to order protective gear were ignored, and scientists' warnings fell on deaf ears. Failings in February may have cost thousands of lives. Now, that article is behind a paywall. So unfortunately, you do have to pay for it, or at least you can try to um, get a free subscription or a reduced price subscription. And then, of course, as so, so many people do, unsubscribe before your credit card gets charged. But I do recommend you read that article. It is staggering and it is damning. Boris Johnson skipped lots of meetings and did not pay attention to this virus, just like Donald Trump. And the whole month of February and part of March, just like Donald Trump, Boris Johnson did not do anything. So you've got two governments, the US and UK, whose leaders did not do a darn thing during the month of February. And in February, it turns out, the government of the UK shipped out equipment to China. 240,000 pieces of PPE shipped to China. What is this about China getting all this equipment in February? Quite frankly, by then, they had already been doing some incredible testing. So why was... I mean, obviously, they were doing it at cost. These governments were making money by shipping tons and tons of PPE. We, we told you, you know, and I've told you about what Michael um, Pompeo, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State here in the U.S. did in February. February 7th, shipping nearly 18 tons of PPE and ventilators to China. And the government made money off of this. Boris Johnson turns out the same thing. And then ignoring warnings, not attending briefings, staggering article from the Sunday Times. If you can read that article, please do. It, it, this, this, I mean, it's very damning. Just like the New York Times article was last week, last Sunday. So, you know, you've got two successive Sundays where you've had some of the biggest news organizations and news uh, organs in their respective countries issue these damning articles 
on the leaders of their countries who have done nothing. Boris Johnson nearly paid for this with his life and he's still recovering. So that's that. Something you should be aware of, a really strong article. Also, in the Los Angeles Times today, there is a very good article on its front page that you should read. And, and this is not behind a paywall, at least it, it, I, at least not for me. A Nation Behind the Curve is the title of the article. And it's one you should read. It's on the front page of the Sunday LA Times. This, this one is written by David Cloud, Paul Pringle, and Eli Stokels. Subtitle, for weeks, Trump downplayed the coronavirus threat as his administration delayed or bungled crucial early steps. Well, not exactly new information, but but the detail and the interviews that this article picks up are new. And it's devastating from insiders in his in Trump's administration. I'm telling you, it's damning stuff. And my goodness me, it is something that people should be paying attention to. Damning stuff. Really damning. Uh, that, that LA Times article, you should read that one. <laughs> you really should. It is something that I think it will anger you. I mean, when I've just talked about mental health and how anger also goes up as well. But that's an article to read. It really is. Totally under control. It's one person coming in from China. It's going to disappear one day. It's like a miracle. It will disappear. Our numbers are lower than just about anybody. Yeah. No, I don't take responsibility at all. People coming in from China where this all started. It could have been stopped right where it came from, China. It came from China. It got out of control. If you think about Governor Cuomo, we're building him four hospitals. He's supposed to be buying his own ventilators. We're going to help. People like Governor Inslee, he should be doing more. He shouldn't be relying on the federal government. Governor Inslee, that's the state of Washington. Don't call the woman in Michigan. All she does is she has no idea what's going on. And all she does is say, oh, it's the federal government's fault. And we've taken such great care of Michigan. We inherited, this administration inherited a broken system. The original tests, the ones we inherited, Jim, as an example, they were they were broken. They were obsolete. And you remember we inherited a broken system. We inherited a broken system. WHO, that's the World Health Organization, they missed the call. World Health got it wrong. I mean, they got it very wrong. In many ways, they were wrong. I'm not happy with the World Health Organization. The reality is that the WHO failed to adequately obtain, vet, and share information in a timely and transparent fashion. It would have been so easy to be truthful. The coronavirus you know that right? coronavirus and this is their new hoax and the 15 within a couple of days is going to be down to close to zero that is the latest recount ad that i just played there it's called trump's coronavirus blame game you can find that on youtube and what you don't obviously see is the number of cases and the number of deaths. And sadly, and more disturbingly, the number of deaths that they show is well out of date. And this was only released 
a day or two ago. In fact, uh, they showed number of deaths as of the 16th of April. Oh, boy. What we will do this November is vote. Whether it is vote by mail or whether it, if the post office still exists, and that's another thing I'll get to in a subsequent episode of this podcast, or whether it is in person, hopefully with this pandemic, much, much less severe than it is now. We must vote and vote this guy out. Vote every Republican out. I mean, that is really, your life actually does depend on this. Can we at least do that for the many thousands of people who've also perished? I mean, who've already perished? If not for ourselves, I mean, anyway. One other note, a couple of other notes. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, and Steve Mnuchin are apparently in accord with an agreement. They are coming to an agreement on supplying more money toward the small business program that uh, paycheck protection program which i which i which clearly big companies raided from and ran out of money and milked the money out of they apparently come to an agreement they said this today that they could reach a deal today on funding more funding supplemental funding for the paycheck program for these small businesses and that new deal would add about 300 billion dollars in funding to these businesses now look i don't think 300 billion is nearly enough 50 billion for disaster loans as well, 75 billion for hospitals and 25 billion for a federal testing program. These are all demands of the Democrats. Look, I think that it's got to be so much higher than that. I get it. It is a start, but I think it has to go way higher. These figures, I mean, you've got these big businesses and these corporations getting much more than that. 25 billion for a federal testing program. You're going to need at least a trillion dollars. Try a trillion dollars for a federal testing program where all of these states get these disbursements and are able to test. And you've got to develop an infrastructure with that. You've got to develop these things. Contact tracing, which, of course, Trump got rid of. And now is relying on Apple and Google. Remember when he said that the Google website and actually, Dr. Burke said this. The Google website will come out and do this. And he said, and he said, Trump did, that the Google website is available right now and it's going to do this stuff immediately. And there's already a vaccine and all this nonsense. And of course, the site wasn't even up and it wasn't even done by Google. It was by Verily, who owns Google. And that hasn't even come to fruition. Bernie Sanders penned an op-ed in today's New York Times about the infrastructure of this country. I've talked about infrastructure a lot. And we now apparently have, uh, well, not apparently, uh, Bernie Sanders did write an op-ed in the New York Times today. Check that out, if you can, about American infrastructure. Forgot the exact title of it, but it is something that is going to happen. By the way, Another headline, Neiman Marcus is going to be filing for bankruptcy protection. Filing for bankruptcy this week, according to the New York Times. That's another headline that you um, phew, 
Neiman Marcus, the first major business to announce bankruptcy, going to file for it this week. Chapter 11, Neiman Marcus. For those of you who've ever shopped there, um, definitely a, a pricey outfit uh, as a business. But yeah, you know, this is going to be the first of many. It's going to be the first of many. This is the 31st anniversary, if you will, or commemoration of the Central Park Five and what also happened, of course, to the jogger in Central Park. April the 19th, 1989 was a fateful day for those five black and Latino boys who would go through hell for the next 15 plus years of their lives. And also, of course, a fateful day for the woman, uh, her name is Trish Miley, who jogged in Central Park and was brutally attacked, viciously attacked. And the sad thing is, is that she was attacked. And the other sad thing is, is that five innocent black boys and Latino boys were sent to jail, were convicted and sent to prison for between five and 15 years of their lives for something they didn't do. And there's not really been an official apology by anybody. Well, there has been, um, the media have been doing mea culpas, but not enough. They are the exonerated five. And Ava DuVernay has done them great justice, great justice in that excellent documentary, excellent uh, docudrama she did last year, which is still on Netflix called When They See Us. Really powerful, excellent performances all around. Jarrell Jerome in particular as Corey Wise. I worked, uh, on a personal note, I worked on that case um, for a short time with one of the attorneys on it. So, you know, I played a, a, a small part in in uh, being involved in that case on a legal basis uh, as an attorney. So I do want to mention that. I also attended that trial, the trials of, of some of these young boys back then and always believed in their innocence where most people did not. I'm not trying to take a, a victory lap here, but I am just saying that there are people out here beyond just myself, who believed in the innocence of these young boys. And thankfully, courts did too. And the evidence was so clear, even at the beginning. But it took, sadly, you know, nearly 20 years, if not more than that, to clear these young boys' names. And it's had devastating effects on them. So I do want to point that out today. Also today, the anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing, the grim commemoration of that as well. That took nearly, what, 200 lives, 100 and some odd lives. Timothy McVeigh, who ended up being executed for, for carrying out that bombing in Oklahoma City, uh, killed 180 people or something. It was just horrible. That was back in, I believe, 19... 95 or so, or whenever that was. Oklahoma City bombing. And I remember at the time there were people that I worked with in the financial uh, district, you know, in New York City, who were saying, oh, I bet it's it's probably some Arab, it's probably some Muslim. 
and how wrong they were. A senior vice president was on the trading floor and he was saying that. But he got that very, very wrong indeed. Didn't he? Piers Morgan blasting uh, Victoria Beckham. She had furloughed 25 of her fashion staff and he apparently went off on that. So that's another thing. Piers Morgan, well, I just mentioned that because I think people are really um, starting to, you know, we're starting to see a lot of things going on. I mean, you will notice other behaviors around you when you go out. Hopefully you are wearing a mask and gloves or at least make sure you're wearing a mask. But you will start to notice the behaviors of people. And I've noticed it. They've changed a little bit, some of them. Most people have been very good. But, you know, there are a number of people who are, you know, you can tell there's a lot of anxiety. There is a lot of anxiety. I want to play you just a portion of this from uh, Sir Charles Barkley. This is his, uh, there was a program called The Color of COVID. And I was worried about it because I felt that there was going to be an issue with it regarding how this was being looked at. This whole thing about black people, of course, who are suffering from this virus and who are dying from it in numbers five times the actual population that they represent. This is what was said. I'm playing this portion for you to hear because you must hear it. This is Charles Barkley last night on the program on CNN, The Color of COVID with Don Lemon and Van Jones. We, you know, we, we need to talk about urban planning. We we need to be honest about um, about food deserts. We need to talk about we need to talk about disparities in healthcare. We need to talk about how people got into the projects in uh, in neighborhoods, how they got set down in neighborhoods in rural communities, and so on and so forth. It's not just, I and mean, it is a problem eating bad foods or whatever. We need to take responsibility for that. But that's just not it. That's not the only factor. Well, listen. I hate using the word systematic racism because then you give people a crutch. We, 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 as black people, we have to accept the fact. There is systematic racism, but that does not give you a reason to go out and be overweight, have diabetes. You know, we got to eat better. We need better access to health care. We need better access to being able to work out. And, and things like that. But unless we get better health care, which is part of the system, unless we learn to work out better and take better care of our bodies, we're always going to be at a disadvantage. We can't go back and worry about history. History is what it is. But we are what we are. And this is going to be a wake-up call for us as a black community. Guys, we're not part of the system. But unfortunately, we actually got to be in control of the system when this thing is over. Because the reason this, this thing y'all having tonight is important. Ban. Done. Who are the people who serve our food? Who are the people who work in the hotels? Who are the people who work in the supermarkets? They are black people and Latinos. Right. And when's the last time, and listen, I'm not bragging, it is what it is. 
I don't remember the last time I stayed in a hotel. They didn't have a bunch of amazing black women and a lot of amazing Latino women working in those hotels. Can you stop putting ignorant people like Charles Barkley on the air? Can you stop putting rich, black, male, professional athletes of a certain age on the air? Can you stop this so that you can prevent them from making complete asses of themselves? Charles Barkley is ignorant. Charles Barkley is a buffoon. Charles Barkley is rich. Charles Barkley is comfortable. And the ignorance of Charles Barkley is legion. He may say a couple of things that make sense every now and again, but for the most part, he is not somebody who is smart or who talks with any kind of sense at all. This idea, and I'm fed up of this, and I'm going to just keep this rant short. (laughs) This idea of black people somehow need to improve their station and they will be okay against this pandemic if they just eat the right foods, if they just get better health care, if they just get better educations and better jobs is garbage. You can have the best health care on earth, but when you have doctors who ignore your symptoms, doctors who downplay your symptoms, doctors who don't think you are as sick as you say you are, doctors who do not take your condition of health seriously, and there are many of those in this country when it comes to black people, then what Charles Barkley says is nonsense. I told you just yesterday or the day before in an episode of this podcast that Serena Williams had to get out of her bed. This is Serena Williams we are talking about. Had to get out of her bed with tubes attached to her, begging doctors to treat her and take tests on her when she was in hospital. Charles Barkley is ignorant. And CNN deliberately puts on people like Charles Barkley and Magic Johnson, by the way, who I've criticized before on these episodes for bashing the black community. And first of all, treating it like it's a monolith, treating the black community as if they are one blob. That must stop. And everybody on that color of COVID program who was black was a professional athlete or rapper. All of them making lots of money. None of them talking about the average black person who is not a millionaire in this country. The average white person is not a millionaire or the average Asian person or the average Latinx or Native American. We're not millionaires. And it's just the height of ignorance and stupidity, conscientious stupidity to have these individuals on. Nobody talked about the real issues. I mean, Don Lemon did mention systemic racism. Van Jones, I don't know what he was doing. He was apologizing, it sounded like to me. 
And then you've got people like Charles Barkley saying, well, like history, you can't do anything about that. We, we, history doesn't play a role. History is in the past. Well, history is very much with us in the present, Charles. If you listened to James Baldwin enough, if you read him, if you realize that he said something to the effect of, if you don't know what's going on before you, you don't know what's going on around you. So if you don't know what went on before you, how would you know what's going on around you? Yeah, and he clearly doesn't know what's going on around him. It's very rich, no pun intended, of rich professional athletes and musicians to lecture to the rest of the black community in America, which has very many different facets, very many different economic scales that you have to just change your diet and that we're going to control the system. How do people working in hotels change the system? How do they control that system if they don't own those hotels, Charles? How do they control the system if they're working three different jobs and have barely any time to play with their kids, Charles? How do they control the system if they are six times more likely, four times more likely to die while giving birth, Charles, black women, their health outcomes are much more severe. Black women are the ones getting HIV more than anyone else. Black women are the ones who are four times to six times more likely to, child, to die in childbirth. Well, we had a nurse in London. I talked about that before, Charles Barkley, on an episode of my podcast, which, of course, you don't care about. And maybe others don't. Who I talked about who died. And her baby had to be delivered via cesarean section, C-section. And then there was a white woman in New York the very same day who was on Anderson Cooper, who was talking about how she had given birth while she was in a coma. And obviously she survived and her baby survived as well. So none of that was discussed. None of that was talked about. They had a doctor on there, a female doctor or a female health professional. She was on for about three minutes and they said sayonara to her. And then the rest of the program was all these celebrities talking. That was one of the most empty programs that CNN has done. Useless. It didn't inform anybody. It was all about beating the black community down. How dare you change your diet? Be responsible. Be personal. You know what? There are black people who are healthy who are dying from this virus, Charles. There are black people in this country who are dying with no preconditions, no pre-existing conditions. They are healthy. Not every black person eats junk food, Charles. And it's easy for you to say eat better food when you have a poor segment of the black community who is poor, who don't have good food because they are surrounded by junk food. They have a McDonald's down the street or a Taco Bell or KFC, or something else, or Popeyes. I know I'm mentioning companies, but look, they are down the street. You don't have a Whole Foods in these neighborhoods, and people can't afford those kinds of places. They, can, they can't even afford Trader Joe's. Give me a break. Charles Barkley, you, you're absolutely out of touch and out of time, like Hall & Oates would say. I am really fed up of this personal responsibility and nobody tells white people about personal responsibility. You've got these idiots out there 
in in California, down in Huntington Beach, in Michigan, in, in Virginia, in Minnesota, in Utah, Wisconsin, in Ohio, protesting. Protesting, oh, open this thing back up. Let us go back to work. They're wearing no mask. They're wearing no gloves, Charles Barkley. Where are you talking about personal responsibility when it comes to them? And when there's an opioid crisis, as there still is, by the way, opioid addiction through the roof in this country, and you don't think this pandemic is going to accelerate that even more, Charles Barkley? White people all over this country are absolutely dying in numbers, record numbers, due to the opioid epidemic, the opioid crisis in this country, ravaging through white communities, middle-class communities, poor communities, upper-class communities. You've got Massachusetts in the Northeast ravaged by it all over the country. Where are you on personal responsibility then, Charles Barkley? I don't hear you or anybody else talking about personal responsibility for them. But you ignore systemic racism or you downplay it and pretend that that is just something that, oh, it's there, but we can't use that as a crutch. Who is getting a crutch from oppressing black people? Who's gaining a crutch from that? Who gets a crutch in this society when they oppress black people, Charles? And I've got to hear P. Diddy, Diddy on there talking about praying. I know there's many people who pray and there are many people who don't pray. Many people who are atheists, many people who are agnostics, many people who don't practice organized religion, they don't believe in it, and some who do. It is Sunday. And you've got people who want people to go back to church, some of these governors And I got to hear Diddy talking about praying. Pray to God. And you know, that is what you got to do. Well, Diddy, faith without works is dead. And literally so in this pandemic. You had a guy who died the other day. I told you about him in a previous episode. A preacher who said, God is bigger than this virus. Bigger than this virus. God is bigger. And what happened to him? He died five days later. And all of his family, his, you know, he's the grand matriarch of this family. And all of them, like four or five of them caught the virus. One of them was on Chris Cuomo on the same network that Diddy was appearing on yesterday with this Color of COVID program. And Chris Cuomo spoke to one of the people, a woman, a young black woman, who lost her grandfather and the same day had two of her family members, I think her, both her parents or, or her father and brother, rushed to hospital. So she couldn't even process the passing away of her revered grandfather, who was a pastor, a preacher, reverend. This is the wrong kind of messaging. And I think that this kind of messaging, you know, pointing fingers at the black community and treating it like this one monolith and talking down to it, these rich black athletes and musicians who have very comfortable 
I've got nothing against their, their wealth. I've got nothing against any, but it is the lack of responsibility and the contempt that some of these individuals, rich, poor, black, white, who are all, you know, doing well in Hollywood and elsewhere, some of them have this contempt for poor people and specifically also for black people. As we are seeing, Bill Cosby did this too. The rapist Bill Cosby did this too back in the early 2000s, wagging his finger at poor black people. Get up off your feet and do this and pull yourself up. That old conservative Republican talking point. You guys have to pull yourself up. Everybody has to be responsible. Everybody has to, yes. But if they don't have the means to do it and if there's a systemic racism that is pervasive, you can't dismiss that, Charles. You can't dismiss that. CNN and others must stop putting these people on TV. And I think this is also about making people comfortable. This, To me, this whole color of COVID special that Don Lemon and Van Jones did last night was geared towards making white audiences comfortable. And quite frankly, that has got to stop in this country. You have black people dying in record numbers. You have Latinos dying in numbers outsized as well, in New York City particularly. And New York City has nearly 20,000 people who've died from this virus. And many of them are Latinx. And it's interesting that the only two Latinx people I saw on TV were the ones speaking the most sense than anybody else. Lin-Manuel Miranda, life-affirming things he said, America Ferreira. But every other person on there who was black, who was a celebrity, pretty much all of them, said these really pathetic things. Like, eat better food. That has nothing to do with beating back a pandemic. Yes, I get it. Even I have talked about eating healthier. But what if you can't afford to? And I've acknowledged that. That there are people who can't afford to eat healthier. And if the transportation system has been closed down in their cities, how are they supposed to get to eat healthier? But again, this is what happens when you have rich black athletes or rich white ones telling you, oh, you can safeguard yourself by doing this. And you know what would have been better for either Magic Johnson or any of these, Charles Barkley, any of these people would have said, Wash your hands with soap and water and wipe down the surfaces in your home if you have a home. I think that would have been better than anything else that they said because the rest of it was blaming. Blame, blame, blame. You know, never attacking systemic racism, never challenging it, never challenging those who benefit from it, never challenge the architecture of systemic racism, never challenge those who devise it. And framework it and benefit of it, benefit from it. Challenging the people who are victimized and oppressed by it. That's very easy. That's very strong. How heroic of you, Charles. Give me a break. 
I do not want to see these people on my TV screen. And it's deliberate. CNN put them on. And I do think it is about fashioning the comfort because, oh, the color of COVID, ooh. And the color of COVID is black and brown. Native Americans. There's a quarantine going on 57 hours straight in Navajo Nation in Arizona. Right now, as I speak to you, as I record this podcast, they are not allowed to go outside. Native Americans in the Navajo Nation are not allowed outside for any reason except a medical emergency. And if they are outside, they're going to be cited and fined. That should be happening all over this country, quite frankly. If we're not going to lock the country down, then make sure that we find people. And I know that's going to adversely affect the poor. But is jailing them the answer? Especially with a pandemic? I don't think so. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.